Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Today, we're going to be closing this series that we've called It's Not Me, It's You, Dealing with Difficult People. Uh, And today, we're going to do that by addressing a particular type of person. It's a person that, that, well, we love them, God loves them, but they can be really, really difficult to to deal with. And, and, And especially difficult to deal with if we're followers of Christ. Today, we're going to talk about how we can love and minister to the people who are hypocrites. Talking about hypocrites today. And by a quick show of hands, how many of you know a hypocrite? How many have ever been around a hypocrite, right? How, how many of you are sitting next to a hypocrite? Don't raise your hand, please. Don't. I don't want you to raise your hand on that one. But I think we all know one. We've all dealt with it. And Actually, it's interesting that the number one complaint, and you could look through any poll that's out there, the number one complaint from non-Christians about Christians is what? They're all a bunch of hypocrites, hypocrites. And have you ever wondered where the word hypocrite even came from? That was something that I was curious about as I was preparing for this message. And so I actually dove into it a little bit and discovered that the word has actually been used well before the birth of Jesus. And it was mainly used early on in Greek theaters. And they're going to put up on the screen there, the way that the Greeks, it's called hupokrates. And it actually means a stage actor or one who wears a mask. It's essentially a person who on the outside portrays one thing, but inwardly they are not living the life that they're portraying on the outside. And Jesus had no tolerance for hypocrisy. We see that throughout scripture. And in fact, in Matthew's gospel, again and again, he hammers on it. We we see in there that seven times Jesus says, woe to the hypocrites. Woe to the hypocrites. And then he says this in Matthew 23, verse 28. It says, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with, with hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's a pretty harsh words coming from Jesus. And so it, it makes us think, okay, how do we deal with the hypocrites in our life? How do we deal with that? Because maybe it's your friend that comes to your men's small group who comes in week after week and acts all normal like nothing's going on. He eats the chips and the dip and prays to close the meeting, and yet everyone in the room knows that he's cheating on his wife and just acting like it's no issue whatsoever. Maybe it's the Christian kid at school who consistently comes to youth group and she lifts her hands in worship on a Sunday night, but she parties hard on the weekends and cheats on tests throughout the week. Maybe it's your boss who professes Christ with their lips, but then treats you and the rest of the employees absolutely horrible throughout the week. Hypocrisy. And what is your role in situations like that? 
How do we love and minister to someone who is proclaiming one thing, but then living out something completely different? And I believe that the first thing that you have to do is we're going to have to answer the question together, why are they acting like that? Because there's a reason. There's almost always a reason why somebody behaves the way they behave. And so we have to ask, why are they acting like that? Because once we discover why they're acting like that, it helps us to determine what we need to do. And it could be one of several reasons. And I want to give those to you this morning. You have them in your notes. Number one, maybe they don't really know God. Maybe they don't know God whatsoever. First John 2, 4 says, Whoever says, I know God, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. In other words, just because they go to church doesn't mean that they have been spiritually made new. So maybe they just haven't genuinely been transformed by the grace of Jesus as of yet. It was Jesus himself who said, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into my kingdom, only those who do the will of the Father. In other words, just because they proclaim Christ does not mean they've been transformed by Christ. Do you follow me on that? This person is actually not a hypocrite. They are just someone who genuinely needs a relationship with Jesus. The second person. Maybe they just don't know any better yet. So maybe they're new in faith. They they haven't been taught and discipled fully to know exactly how they're supposed to live. You know, Apostle Paul was dealing with this very problem in the church of Corinth. We see it amongst several other complicated issues. But he says in 1 Corinthians 3.1, he says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. In other words, Paul is telling the new believers that yes, you've been forgiven. Yes, you've been changed by Jesus, but no, you really haven't grown and spiritually matured just as of yet. You're kind of a baby in Christ. You're a baby in this faith. You're still going to do some things that maybe don't make a lot of sense. It's a work in progress. Sanctification. This is a person that does not need correcting. They need instructing and they need discipleship badly. Right? A pastor friend of mine he, he pastors a church down in North Central Florida. He said, you know, and it's a church that's just exploded. They're reaching the lost. People are getting saved. Man, it's every week it seems like there's 15 or 20 people giving their life to Jesus down at his church. And I'm always like, man, I am blown away, brother. That is awesome. But man, with that, man, he gets some people that come in there and, and they're brand new to the faith. Like, and they came up to him one time. He said, I'll never forget it. He said, it just really defined who we are as a church and how we just love people. As he said, man, I gave this message and, and man, I just, you know, it was awesome. It was spirit filled. And afterwards, this guy runs into me in the parking lot and he said, pastor, that was the best blanking message I've ever heard. And he's like, well, praise God, brother. But, but he said that that's the kind 
of people that we have to reach. And, and here's the thing, that person, he didn't need correcting in that moment. He just needs a little bit more discipling, right? He needs just a little bit more instruction. He needs a, a mature believer to walk alongside him and show him, hey, it's not okay necessarily. It's not proper to holler that at the pastor after Sunday, right? But he means well. It was coming from the heart, But the person that we're going to focus on today for the majority of this message is not the person necessarily that doesn't know the Lord. It's not even the person that has come to know the Lord, but still has some discipleship and some teaching to take place. No, the the person we're going to focus on is this third person. And that's the person that maybe they do know better, but they still disobey God. That, my friends, is a hypocrite. That's a hypocrite. Peter addressed it this way in 1 Peter 2.16. He said, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. What Peter's saying there is he's saying, hey, don't use the grace of God that you have received as some kind of hall pass to be able to live life any way that you want. And this is what happens when people slip into this spirit of hypocrisy. Because can I tell you, many times it is. It's it's a spirit. And it's a spirit of hypocrisy that comes on somebody. And it seems to start like this, where it starts with justification. They'll say things like, well, it seems like everybody else is doing it. Why can't I? They try to justify that behavior. And then there's a rationalization that takes place. They'll say, well the end of the day, I really want to do this, but, and God's going to forgive me. His grace covers this. They rationalize it. And then normally once you've justified it and rationalized it, then it moves into full-blown hypocrisy where you're saying, well, who are you to judge me anyway? You haven't walked in my shoes. Full-blown hypocrisy. This is the person that did at one time know better but is now justifying their actions and using God's grace as an excuse to live in sin. And Peter warns, don't do it. Don't don't use your freedom as an excuse to do what you know to be wrong. So what do we do with this third type of person as believers, New Song? What, What do we do? I mean, those who genuinely have been changed by Jesus and yet continue to willfully disobey God. Is it it none of our business as believers? I mean, is it one of those judge not lest you be judged? Is Is that where that slips in? Or is this absolutely our business? Are, are, Are we, is that part of God's will for us? Should we be totally non-confrontational and just pray like crazy for this person? Should we be all up in the business, right? Constantly judging or at least bringing forth what's going on in their life, telling them what they should be doing or not doing. Where exactly do we fall in the whole scheme of things? That can be kind of tricky. It's what I want to navigate with you today. And I believe it's extremely important, New Song, that we get this right. Because if we get this wrong, not only can we push people farther away from the things of God, 
but we can also be a very bad witness to anyone else that's looking on and not to mention be incredibly hurtful. I'm sure almost everybody in the room, if it's not you, somebody in your life has been so wounded by somebody that called themselves a Christian. Somebody has been so incredibly wounded by the church that they have no interest in coming back in the doors. That's horrible. I believe that we can right that wrong. I believe that we can bring restoration and reconciliation to those people, but we have to be extremely prayerful. We have to be seeking direction and discernment from the Holy Spirit before we confront anybody as a believer. And can I also say it is incredibly important that you have established relationship with somebody before you confront them. That is so important. You know, even in youth ministry, I mean, I realize that, I mean, that's why sometimes some people might go, you're doing what with the youth? You're going where? Sometimes it doesn't have to be just screaming Bible verses at them. Sometimes you just have to do life with them and go have some fun because you're building relationship. You're allowing yourself to have a voice in their life so that when they need you to get a little bit stern with them, they know the heart in which it's coming from. It's not harsh at that point. They realize that it's in love. It works that way with teenagers. It works that way with adults as well. So I want to give you some prayers today that really we need to be praying before we confront anybody about anything at all. And the first one is this. God... Help me confront people with a heart to restore. We need to always be having a heart to restore someone, not a heart just to correct them, not a heart to smack them upside the face. It needs to be a heart to restore them. And Paul told the Galatians this in Galatians 6.1. He said, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, that's you and I, I'm hoping, You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Doesn't say that now is is Paul saying what you need to do is when you see a brother or a sister that's out of line, you need to go up there, you need to let them know it, and you need to pop them upside the head. No. He said you need to come with a heart of restoration, you need to do it gently. So what does it mean to restore? Well, to restore means to bring back or to make whole again. Something has been missing, right? They've gone astray. We need to bring them back, make them whole again. And your heart is to restore, to bring back to God's original purpose for you and for them. And to do it gently and humbly. I actually love the way that another version uh, translates that scripture. And it's uh, Galatians 6.1 in the NLT. It actually says, if another believer is overcome by some sin... You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on to the right path. Help them back onto the right path. You see, they've wandered away, and you're going to help bring them back. And here's a metaphor that I want you to hold on to, new song, and that is, you are not the judge, you are the guide. That's worth repeating. You are not the judge... You are simply the guide. You're not to judge declaring what's right or what's wrong. You are to guide, 
helping gently lead them back to a better way of life. Help to gently bring them back to freedom and truth. In other words, your goal is actually not to be right, but to help them be right with God. And it's not a look at me, I'm right, you're wrong kind of mentality. Don't go at it like that. That's not a heart to restore. That's a heart to harm. That's a heart to, that's pride is what that is. It's more, no, I'm not the judge. I'm the guide. I'm helping you come back to life. I'm helping you come back to freedom because I'm going to handle it this way because guess what, new song? One day it might be you or me that needs restoration. It might be you or me that we've kind of wandered off the path and we need a loving brother or sister in Christ that's developed relationship with us to be able to pull us back. And sometimes it doesn't feel good, but it's what we need. And it's what God's called us to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, think about how Jesus loved people. Jesus loved people with grace and truth. Grace and truth. Think about this. The woman caught in adultery and everyone around her is saying, stone her. Stone her. And guess what? By law back then, they were not wrong. That, that was law, that she was caught in adultery. She was to be stoned publicly. But Jesus came about it with grace and truth. But just imagine for a moment in that particular story that many of you are probably familiar with, imagine if Jesus, if all he spoke was grace, it would have sounded something like this. Oh, don't worry about it, sweetheart. Just go about things and try not to get caught again. That's not going to work. Imagine if instead all Jesus spoke was harsh truth. He it would have looked like this. He would have said, yeah, hey, sweetheart, everybody here wants to stone you. And guess what? They have the right to and probably should because you've made some really bad choices, obviously, and you've got caught. So uh, you, you might want to cover your face. There's some really sharp rocks coming your way. Like that, that's harsh Truth with no grace. That's not what he does. That's not Jesus. Instead, what does he do? He kneels down and he begins to doodle and draw in the sand. And we don't know exactly what it was that he was doodling or drawing, but now there's many scholars that believe he was probably writing in the sand a list of sins of those that were about to cast a stone. Because then we see that shortly after Jesus starts doodling in the sand and writing something out that they just drop their rock one at a time and start leaving the scene. And then Jesus, he kneels down and in grace and love says, woman, where are the people that were accusing you? And she looks up and she says, they're all gone. And then Jesus, continuing in grace, says, well, neither do I condemn you. And then in truth, he says, essentially, there's a better way to live. Now go on your way. Be free. He says, go and sin no more. It's grace and truth. It's Jesus having a heart to restore. He could have very easily just started correcting that woman in that moment and yelling at her and, hey, you're about to get stoned. You're about to die. It's going to be a horrible death. I hope you are sorry for what you did. But he didn't. 
because there's grace and truth together. It was a heart to restore. And, and this next one is so very important for us to get right. This next prayer is so important. And it's this, it's God, help me to confront people with sin carefully. Carefully. It's not, we can't go into this recklessly. When we read on in Galatians 6, 1, of course, we read where it says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But let's keep reading. It says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. New song, you have to be very, very careful when you're about to approach someone and confront them with sin, even if you're in relationship with them. Because the moment that we put ourselves in the posture of the one who's correcting, the one who's coaching, you become more vulnerable to pride. It's human nature. And what do we know about pride? We know that pride always comes before a fall. And I really believe that that's why Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, he said, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. When you confront, do it carefully. Because the moment that we think we are better than someone, we open ourselves to the lies of the enemy that say some crazy stuff to us. And we start to believe it because we so badly want to believe it. We hear things like, oh, well, you, you would never do that. That's just incredibly ungodly and you're a very godly person. Or we might hear in our heads something like, oh, you are so much better than them. You would never make that mistake. And it's a lie from the enemy. And yet it's so dangerous because when you hear those things, everything inside of you goes, yes, absolutely, that must be the Lord. Yes, I am godly. Yes, I would never make that mistake. That is so wrong so horrible. And yet that's the very moment when you and I become so vulnerable to do the very thing that you are calling someone else out on. We have to be careful when we confront a fellow believer. So how do we do it? How do we confront carefully and with a heart to restore? And I'm so grateful for the word of God. I'm so grateful for Jesus's teaching in the New Testament, because Jesus gives us what we would call today a masterclass in how to confront people that are dealing with sin in our lives, and then how to do it with a heart to restore. And you can read about it in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to kind of give you a short summary, and uh, this is essentially what Jesus says. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, now realize he's not necessarily talking about your siblings. Now, it could include them, but what he is addressing here is your brother or sister in Christ. He is saying uh, that this is someone who is a believer that you're confronting. We're not going to be confronting non-Christians who aren't acting like Christians because guess what? They're not Christians. We can't hold them at that expectation. Therefore, they shouldn't be expected to behave like Christians. 
I think so often we're guilty of doing that today, whether it's government officials or whatever. We get so angry that, that they're not being godly. And yes, we need to pray for them and our hearts should ache. But at the end of the day, many of these people aren't saved. They don't even know Jesus. How do we expect them to act like Jesus? It's like we keep wanting to elect pastors, right? Instead of these political leaders. We have to understand many of them, they don't even know Christ. So we can't expect them to. And and then that rolls into really just every day, week to week within the church. And and these same people, these non-Christians, these non-believers, they haven't been able to hear about Jesus yet, but that's why we're bringing them in, right? That's why we encourage you, hey, invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite anybody in the community that's not a part of a life-giving church. And then when they come into our church and maybe they don't act like us, they don't behave like us, we're not going to judge them. We're going to love them right where they are. And we're going to give them a safe place to belong even before they believe. Because follow me on this new song. Our goal is not to change their behavior, but to introduce them to the one who will. That is so good. It's not our job to play Holy Spirit and try to change their behavior. We need to give them a safe place to come and worship and and to feel welcomed and loved. But it's not our job to change their behavior. It's our job to introduce them to the one who will. Back to Matthew 18. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, you first go to them directly. All right, in the Greek, this means don't try to solve your problem on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I mean, can you trust me on this one, New Song? I'm telling you, there is nothing more embarrassing than, than when someone is calling out someone over social media. Can, can I tell you what it's like? It's very, I mean, and this is going to seem ridiculous, and yet it is so true. It's about like the equivalent to walking into Walmart on Black Friday and just putting you and everybody else's business on blast. Hey, guess what? So-and-so did this to me. Aren't they horrible? That's crazy. Please stop. The second thing he says, so he says, go to the person directly so that in private, you can tell them what the offense is, what the hurt is. You can say things like, hey, this is how you hurt me. Maybe you didn't mean it that way. Maybe you did, but here's the hurt. And you're in private. You're not putting them on blast. You don't have them on social media. They're not out in front of everybody. This is how you've hurt me. This is, or maybe it's, hey, this is where I see you going astray. I'm a little concerned. I used to see that your relationship with Christ was strong. You were growing. You were getting plugged in at the church. But now I haven't seen you in like four weeks. You're not returning text messages. I'm concerned, but you're doing all that directly and in person, not on social media, not in front of a lot of people. This is what Jesus wants us to do. And Jesus actually says, listen, hey, if you do this and they listen and you see change, you've won them over. Praise God, they've been brought back to the right path. Now, that's a wonderful, perfect world, and many times, I hope that's exactly what happens, 
that, you're, that they look at you and go, oh my goodness, thank you for not embarrassing me. Thank you for kind of correcting me in private and not in public. Oh my goodness, you're right. I'm going to change. But sadly, that doesn't always happen. So then Jesus actually gives us some further steps. He's saying, if they don't listen to the coming to them directly, then Jesus says, that's when you bring in some support, right? You're going to bring in two or three other believers that are aware of the situation to help them see, hey, this really is an issue. Like, it's not just one person. Like, there's several of us that love you and see that this is a problem. And they're going to then lovingly help point them in the right direction back towards God's truth and the freedom that we do have in Christ. Then Jesus says, if they still don't listen, well, now at this point, you've gone one-on-one, you've brought in some loving support. Now you're going to have to elevate it a little bit. If that continues, then you're going to have to bring in some form of leadership within the church to get involved in that. Maybe that's one of the one of the staff pastors, maybe that's Pastor Justin, maybe that's Dr. Bill, the counselor, whatever the case may be. It says, hey, go ahead and elevate it to the leadership. And Jesus says, if they still don't listen and receive, Jesus basically says to you, redefine the relationship. At that point, we're going to have to totally redefine that relationship. His actual words are, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Oh my. Now that might not mean much to us in 2021, but let me give you a little bit more of a modern example of what Jesus is asking us to do in that last ditch effort. Let's say that that you do, you lead a, a men's small group and a member of your group who continues to claim Christ but also continues to openly cheat on his wife, you've confronted him one-on-one, you've confronted him privately, then you brought a few other men from your group that know about the situation, that have a heart to restore, you speak to him, and then you've also brought him to a member of the pastoral staff to talk things through, but nothing changes. At some point, you have to say, you have to redefine that relationship, new song. At some point, you have to say, hey, you know what? I love you, man. I do. I love you. But you can't just keep coming up in our group like everything's okay. You you can't just, we can't keep meeting up to play ball or to play golf or meeting for our weekly lunch and just acting like everything's fine and that there's no changes that need to be made in your life. We can't do this anymore. And listen, brother, if at any moment, You want to admit that what you're doing truly is wrong. You you have a heart of repentance and you want to make it right. I want you to know the door is wide open. I'm going to be here for you. Your group's going to be here for you. We are not kicking you out, but you have to understand that you cannot continue to behave this way and yet have intimate fellowship. You got to redefine the relationship. And it might seem harsh, but I can promise you, New Song, it is not harsh. That is actually love. You are showing them Christ-like love in that scenario. It's not get out. It's not you're not good enough to be a part of this group. It's not that. Don't hear that. That's not what it is at all. It's careful. It's gentle. It's patient. And it's a heart to bring restoration to that person. 
And we have to get this right, new song. We have to. So many lives depend on it. So many eternities depend on us getting this right as believers. So it's God help us to confront with a heart to restore. It's God help us to confront carefully. And I want to give you this last prayer. And it's God, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. You know, Jesus calls the hypocrites blind fools in scripture. Blind fools. In other words, hypocrisy is really difficult to see in the mirror. Isn't that something? It's super easy to point out in someone else's life, oh, they're a hypocrite. They're saying one thing and living another. And yet, many times we can't see the hypocrisy in our own life that needs to come out, needs to be dealt with. We're all blind fools from time to time. And here's something that I've learned. Wherever you are most condemning of others, it's often a reflection of where you are most vulnerable yourself. Man, think about that for a second. Man, we see that all the time. If you've been a follower of Jesus for any stretch of time, you've probably remembered times when when there were um, popular pastors that were out there that, man, they were crashing down. It seemed like every Sunday they were hammering down a certain point, a certain sin, and then go to find out what they have a moral failure, and they're the very ones that were committing the same sin they kept hammering people on. Where you're most condemning of others, it's often a reflection of where you yourself are most vulnerable. King David learned this in the Old Testament. And if you don't know his story, of course, King David, he was a great man. The Bible said he's a man after God's own heart who made a very big mistake. And then he compounded the sin with another sin. He was on a rooftop one day. And he really should have been at war with his men. But for whatever reason, he wasn't. He was at home. He was on his rooftop. And he was looking out upon his kingdom. And he sees this beautiful woman bathing. And then he he says, ooh, I like that. I want you to go get her for me. And so what does he end up doing? He ends up calling another man's wife to himself. He committed adultery with her, ends up getting her pregnant. Then to cover up his sin, what does he do? He essentially has her husband Uriah murdered by sending orders to send him to the front lines of a battle where he was overtaken and killed. David in this moment was totally blind to his hypocrisy. But then one day, Nathan comes along. If you're not familiar with Nathan, Nathan was a prophet and he came to confront David after all this had happened and he came with a heart to restore David. He didn't come with a heart to to bop him upside the head. He came to restore him because he knew the great man of God that he was. And he tells him a story. He says, David, let me tell you a story. There was a rich man who had all sorts of livestock, sheep and cattle. Then there was a poor man who only had one lamb. And this lamb grew up with him. His kids loved the lamb like a pet. One day, this rich man had a guest that was hungry. 
So instead of the rich man taking one of his own livestock, instead, he took the poor man's only lamb, he killed it and fed it to the guest. David hears this story and he gets furious. He's angry at that guy. He's, he literally says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 5 through 7, he says, it says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing with no pity. And I love this part. Then Nathan says to David, you're that man. That man you're so mad at in the story, that's actually you. You're the hypocrite, David. The very thing that you're furious at is the same thing that you did to that family. But you're too blind to see it. And I think that's such a great example, New Song, of why we have to fight as believers of becoming the speck inspector. Oh, look at the speck in his eye. Oh, that speck in her eye. Ooh. Oh, I can't believe the speck in that group of people's eye. And yet we say all that with a big log in ours. So we just too blind to see. And what do we know about ourselves, New Song? What do we know that scripture talks about us that actually... One of the metaphors that scripture uses about us, and you've heard me teach on it before, it's not flattering. The Bible says that we're like sheep. Sheep are stupid. Sheep have a tendency to wander. Sheep are the, the type of animal that's like, oh, look, something shiny. Oh. And they wander. And they get off the path that they know that they should be on. And what happens so often is as they get off the path, the enemy likes to whisper in their head and say things like, hey, little sheep, come here, come here, come here. Look at that. Grass is obviously greener over there. Come on. It's no big deal. Everybody else is doing it. Come on. And people wander just like sheep. And listen, new song. It's also important to know this. That just because a sheep wanders does not mean the sheep is a wolf. It just means it's a sheep that's wandered off the path. But it's not a wolf. So in our earlier example, when that brother in Christ is committing adultery and continues to do it, we don't write him off as a wolf that we never want to see again. We don't do that. We recognize that he's a sheep that's been led away from the flock and that we need to do everything that we can to restore that sheep to fellowship that we restore that sheep and put them back on the right path that God designed for them from the very beginning. It's how James said it in James chapter five. He said, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering 
will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This is why we've got to get this right, New Song. We've got to confront with a heart to restore because guess what? One day, we might be the ones that take the step off the path. We might be the ones that are wandering and and listening to some of the lies that are being whispered in our ears. And I sure hope to God, if that's ever me, that I would have some brothers and sisters in Christ that would have a heart to restore, that would come and say, hey, listen, man, I'm I'm a little upset. I see where you were and where you are right now, and I'm not comfortable with it. I love you. I want to bring you back. You're off the path. Come on, let me just lead you back to the path. God's got such a plan and a purpose for your life. Don't let anything take it off the rails. We confront with a heart to restore. And I know hypocrites can be difficult to deal with. They drive you crazy in your everyday life, I know. But we're called to something more than just surviving them. I really believe that we're called to restore them. We're called to to come and, and when they're off the path, we're to gently and humbly, not pridefully, gently and humbly bring them back to the path. Let's pray. Would you stand with me, New Song? Earlier, I'd asked you if any of you had ever known a hypocrite. And almost everybody's hand raised. I would imagine there's probably nobody in here that's never dealt with one. We all have. And some of us, maybe through the power of the Holy Spirit in this word this morning, have been convicted to say, oh man, I too have been the hypocrite in my life and in others. And I just want to repent. I want to pray a prayer over you right now. And then I'm going to give those that have been wandering an opportunity to get right with the Lord. But let's pray with every eye closed and head bowed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would help us to get this right, Lord. We know that getting this wrong has caused so much pain for so many over the years. Lord, help us to get it right. Help us to reach people effectively, but help us to correct when we need to correct. Help us to develop relationship with people so that we would have a voice in their life and they would have a voice in ours. And Father, I know that even right now, there are those who are in this building, Lord God, who in their life, there's people that they work with, people they were raised with, people they raised, people they were raised by, Lord that have situations going on in their lives. That if we are going to help them, we need wisdom from heaven. We need to have guidance, Lord, to bring them back to the fold. And Lord, give us all of you, Lord. Give us open eyes, Lord, to be able to see our own sinful nature. And give us a heart to repent and live according to your truth. Now there's some of you under the sound of my voice right now that you've been wandering. You're just like that sheep I was talking about. 
that you've been trying to do life on your own, your own way for far too long. But today you're saying, no, I'm done with that. I'm going to give everything I have to Jesus this morning. If that's you, would you be bold enough to shoot your hand up? I see that hand. I see those hands. Hands popping up all over. Praise God. Greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. You can put your hands down. Pray this prayer with me. You can pray it to yourself. You can make it your own. What you got to do is just mean what you say. Jesus, I give you my life. I've been trying to do this thing on my own far too long. And this morning, I'm giving it all to you. I'm done trying to take it on myself. Lord, I believe you are exactly who you say you are. You're the son of God. You died on the cross for me and my sins, for what I deserve. Three days later, you were resurrected, brought to life, and now you are at the right hand of the Father, and you are interceding for me. Holy Spirit, fill me, Lord, so I can have the power to live out this life. Lord, give me people in my life that I can surround myself with that are going to lift me up, that they're going to love me, they're going to disciple me, and when I need some correction, they're going to have a voice in my life to be able to correct me. And Lord, I just pray a boldness over every single person in this room, Lord, that they would begin to establish strong relationship with those people in their life that might be needy, that might be hypocritical, they might be manipulative. Lord, I pray that they would do everything they can to go at them with a heart to restore. Because I truly know, Lord, that there is no relationship that cannot be restored by you, Lord God. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.